Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Design Huddle, a podcast for creative professionals looking to level up. This podcast is hosted by myself, Ryan Warner, a UX designer based in New York City, and my co-host, Brendan Gross, a digital strategist for Fortune 500s. This podcast is the intersection of design, business, people, and just possibly the next big idea. We interview designers, thought leaders, co-founders, influencers, and sometimes just our friends from Instagram. If you like design, the internet, or storytelling, this just might be your new favorite podcast. We have a ton of incredible episodes and content coming out soon, so please subscribe. And for now, let's dive in to today's episode of Design Huddle. So guys, we have a super special guest today. For those of you who've been following us on Instagram, you already know what it is. But for those of you who do not know, let me fill in some gaps for you. This guy is an executive level creative leader who has more than 20 years of experience in the industry. He's not only the founder of a nationally recognized creative agency, Riser, where for 13 years created amazing work for the top of the line, world's most renowned brands. When Riser was at the top of its game on Inc's list of top 5,000 companies, he sold his agency, rebranded the agency to what is now known as EKR, stayed in-house as chief creative officer up until last year, where EKR is still killing it at the top of Inc's top 5,000 companies, in addition to where they're still working with even more notable brands today. Guys, the reason why I didn't tell you all the brands all at once or at you know different segments of time is because this guy has a long-ass accolade list. So, let's bring it home. This man has worked with Disney, Google, ABC, Fox, Warner Bros., NBC, National Geographic, Intel, Netflix, and TV Guide, just to name a few. Guys, this legit is his WWF intro. He's won some of the most coveted awards in the industry from Webby's, FWA, Awards, AIGA, and the Addies. His work in business has been featured by Print Magazine, How Magazine, Utah Business Magazine, and Business Q Magazine, where he was the one, or really where he was the cover of the December 2012 issue highlighting who Utah's coolest entrepreneurs are, or really Utah's coolest entrepreneurs. And of course, if that was enough, he's the author of the amazing book that every designer should own called Burn Your Portfolio, Stuff They Don't Teach You in Design School, but should. So with that said, guys, he's a sought-after keynote speaker and coach, lover of the beach, and has a sharp mind and discipline that comes with the first-degree black belt in karate that he has. So please join us in welcoming Michael Janda to Design Huddle. Hey, thanks for having me on. You did a deep dive to find the uh, black belt in karate. I, I I couldn't tell if you were just reading his Wikipedia page or what was what was going on here. But uh, thanks so much for joining, Michael. We're obviously super excited to have you. 
Hey, thank you. I, I love it and I looked forward to it. So I'm excited that we're finally on this call. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to start and then I'll let Brendan kind of follow up. I just need to start with a very general question. You obviously have been in an industry for a while. Your career has evolved, taken a lot of twists and turns. What actually drew you into becoming like, you know, someone that is an expert in UX design? I'd love to hear a little bit about like your path to get here. And what was like that moment when you were like, wow, I, I think I want to do this as like my full-time job? Well, you know, back in in the early years, in the high school time, I was the kid who draws pictures, you know, and that's where a lot of designers start. You you collect comic books and then you draw comic books. That's what we do in high school. And you really have two options. You can either be poor or you can be some kind of a graphic design related field. Those are your two options if you're an art guy. So I chose the uh, some kind of a career option and decided to go. Back then, it was like commercial art. That was what they called it uh, in the early 90s. It wasn't even really graphic design yet. So I went to college, went to Indiana University, and uh, I was studying business at the start because all my friends were going to business school. And I thought, oh, I'll just follow everybody to business school because IU had the number four business school in the nation. And I thought, I'll just follow everybody to business school. And then I had at the midterm, my, my second semester, my freshman year, I had a 0.9 GPA. So <laughs> the, the business prereqs weren't going so well. So I was like... <laughs> too, many, too many Hoosier basketball, basketball it, games. It was. Hey, and, and IU was good back then too, you know, Final Four a couple times while I was in college. Oh, nice. That was the time to be there. It was, yeah. Bobby Knight was still a coach, so... Oh, gosh. I didn't realize that's... that's I know, there. dude. I'm older. I'm than a big me. college basketball fan. We could have a whole podcast on getting into that, but that's super cool. Yeah. So my parents got me this book called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow... And I, I never read the book, but I read the cover and that was enough. I decided, you know, uh, OK, I'll just follow my love and do something with art. So I went back to school and uh, studied design. It was I had a, a degree in studio art with an emphasis in graphic design. They didn't even have a, a degree in graphic design at the time. Uh, so. That was my that was my path, and fortunately, I didn't have to starve, and uh, it actually worked out. I just became passionate about design, and uh, and later the business of design, and it all worked out for me. I, I didn't have to worry about the money side. The money followed just doing well in my career, so that was good. Love that. I think it, that's all it takes, right? Is a spark. Um, but I think a lot of us have similar, similar backgrounds. Mine was, I had a graphic design and a business degree. And then I kind of, you know, figured, Hey, a good mashup of the, my two of my degrees is, you know, pursuing UX, solving yeah. problems, working with people. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I love it. It's just funny. Cause it's like UX design or, you know, being a UXer as a career is still like, you know, fairly new in terms of how long people have been like accountants. Yeah, but I think you know, uh, all things considered, people have been doing this for a long time. It's just how are we how are we branding ourselves? Yeah, exactly. And you know, I go back to my career, and it, nobody called it UX in 1996 when I it wasn't even a thing. I mean, yeah. Don Norman had already coined the phrase, but nobody used it. It wasn't it wasn't right. a thing. It wasn't a thing until honestly, let's you know, four or five years ago. And that's when it became this term that everybody's using. And now it's like a whole career path you can go down. But for 15 years prior to UX being a thing, I was doing UX. It was 
you know, building digital products and building tangible products for our clients, uh, mostly relating to marketing materials, but it was all about defining a user's experience. And I was in the start of it all in the mid to late 90s when there were no usability standards. Every time you'd make a website, for example, that was what a lot of UX was back then. Every time you make a website, it's reinventing navigation from the ground up. You know, do people like a side nav, a top nav? Why, why do they do certain usability behaviors? And nobody knew there was no research or anything. So it, it's, I'm jealous of the people doing it now when you can, you have courses and instructions and books about this information that just didn't exist back then. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, Brendan and I wanted to start like a, a podcast like design huddle. Um, I have like this personal goal to get as many people as possible, like understanding like UX as a career path. I just don't think it gets enough love. I think a lot of people would thrive um, in this community so like, I know you do a lot of this as well. Like you put out so much free content on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. So I, I couldn't agree more. This is the best possible time, even if you have no UX background to make this switch um, and, you know, hit the ground running. Yeah. And you don't even have to go get a college degree to do it. I mean, there's so much, you don't even have to pay for the content to do it. Go buy four books and start digging into YouTube tutorials and follow people on Instagram. I mean, man, yeah. you go, I know you guys had Gabriel last week, but UX bites, you just follow his stuff and you're going to be better than most of the UX people out there. I, it, it's a crazy world that we're living in right yeah. now. Um, Brandon, I'll let you go. Cause I know you had a lot of good questions, but uh, that was a super great overview. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. And it, for everybody uh, that, is really listening what we're going to because we have such a coveted person on the on the online right now with us we're gonna really go through not just his path what we're gonna dig into just for you guys so you understand um, what we're gonna get into is we're gonna figure out how Michael is able to do so much especially from his path where he mentioned that this wasn't a thing the thing that we are all in in terms of UX this was not a thing that what, there was no path for him to really figure out. He was just like, oh, shit, you know what? My mom and dad gave me a book. I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to make some money. Let's go. That literally was his jump-off point. So we're going to really dive in and figure out what was, how he was able to not only uh, you know, mentally able to take and really build his own path, but what, was able, what allowed him to not only run an agency and even before that be at a top dog at Fox, um, you know, run his agency, not only sell it, write a book and now crush it on Instagram and uh, really chasing my ass on Instagram. Um, yeah. I've got <laughs> 50,000 to, to like catch up to you. So he's uh, he's it's, it's going to be there next week. Yeah. All right. So my my question is, is Mike is more or Michael, sorry. What has allowed you in the beginning? Like what made you take the jump into, you know, we talked a little bit about your path. Take us to before your agency started and when you were um at fox what made you take the jump into uh you know doing your own thing what was filling the gaps for us because what i want the audience to get out of this is you know what allowed you to push yourself to the next level in terms of what it is that you decided on yeah okay so it it actually started pre-fox for me on what the big spark was for me when i graduated from college i had my piece of crap 
uh, student portfolio that everybody's toting around trying to get a job with five mediocre at best projects in it. And so I'm shopping around trying to find a job. This is 1996 yeah. and I, I couldn't buy a job and it was miserable. And it was like two months of applying at places. And finally I got a job and it was nine bucks an hour at alpha graphics. It's like the very bottom of the graphic design or the design world. It's, it barely even counts as a design job. I was their pre-press coordinator or whatever. And to me, that I'm I'm like really competitive. My uh my I grew up with four brothers in Indiana. We were born in Chicago and you know, Midwest boys growing up in the Midwest and no sisters. It's just a it's a free for all every day. I, I have to jump in because that's a little too weird. I I grew up in Indiana and I had two brothers. So Shut that's up. Kinda, that's kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, I live I lived all over, but like my childhood was in Indiana. So and I what part I, of I, Indiana? I was in Warsaw, so very small town. Like near shut South up! Bay. You're in Warsaw. Yeah. That's where I'm from, man. I went to Warsaw High School. Are you kidding me? That's nuts. That is nuts. Wow. And that's like, the, that's not a big town for those. No, if you that, look up I the grew up on Pike area. Lake, man. Pike Lake. You know Pike Lake. Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. I'd go skiing with my friends on Winona Lake all the time. and That is, that is unbelievable. Wow. But yeah, back to the competitive brothers. Okay. Well, so, so sidebar. Well, the most epic sidebar ever, but uh, same thing with me. Like, I, you know, it was like brothers are constantly pushing you to be better and competitive. And like, it really, you know, brings out the best and the worst in you, right? Like you love to win and you hate to lose. Yeah. No, that's what it is. And that's the Midwest uh, style of being. You either, you either uh, submit to being the laziest human ever, or you're going for it. There's really no in between. So some people are content to just sit on the lake and, uh, you know, drink a soda and fish, but that was never going to cut it for me. Yeah, anyway, I so so I, I grew up in that way. And so when I couldn't get a good job, I was so I just fueled me. I was like, man, this is the worst. It's not what I expected for my career. And it fueled me. And one of the things that was most critical to my success was this whole self-education thing. I realized that college didn't teach me what I needed to know to be successful. It barely got me a foot in my first job. And I was going to have to learn things myself to progress in my career. So I uh, started just this massive self-education. I taught myself how to code. I taught myself, I had learned design principles, you know, color theory, typography, those kinds of things in college. But uh, I had to learn how to apply those things to this new website design world that was emerging I taught myself how to code. I taught myself how to build websites. I learned Flash at the time. It was Flash 2, which I think was the first time it was called Flash. I think, I think Macromedia called it something else before that. Anyway, so I was just learning and learning and learning. And I would you know, go to work every day and then come back and spend time building my own junk just to learn what I was doing. And it had a massive effect on my career because I started to surpass people who graduated around the same time I did, I started to surpass those people and get jobs over those people. I, and I got my job at Fox when I was uh, 28 years old and it was the year 2000. And you now I had people on my team who were 40 years old and they, they were, I was their boss in, in my position, but it was this drive to, 
to know more and to self-educate that made such a huge difference. Yeah. And I think that the, the other takeaway from that is it sounds like you were never like satisfied, right? It's very easy to like reach a place where you're comfortable, you're an expert, but it really takes a certain mindset to like relentlessly continue to educate and push yourself. And I think UX of all fields, because it's evolving, there's new platforms, new interfaces that we have to be thinking about. Um, I think that's why everyone is always on their toes because you don't know what's next and you can, it is an advantage if you understand the platforms that are coming out and how they integrate to more traditional platforms. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's UX is like one of the scariest businesses to be in. If you get lazy at all, you're going to get left behind. I mean, honestly, everybody's trying to learn interface design right now and usability for interfaces. But if you're not learning voice UI right now and starting to dig into that, what's going to happen in your future? Because I walk around my house, I changed all my light switches to be voice enabled. You know, everybody just walks around my house saying, hey, Siri, turn off all the lights or turn on the basement lights or it's movie time or whatever. You know, if you're not learning some of that kind of UX interaction, what does the future hold for you? So you have to stay on top of it all and stay on your toes and pay attention to trends. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, this 100% true. Yeah, no, I mean, I so I really, I, I think the one thing that um, I think you do really, really well is, you know, your personal branding is really concise. Like I remember, I don't know when I started following you on Instagram, but I feel like you grew fairly, very quickly. I think obviously the content's super high quality. Um, you keep a very consistent look and feel like the yellow background is like become synonymous with your, with, which I, which I love because it's now it's like, Oh, that's, that's Michael's content. So can you just talk a little bit about like, what is your personal branding strategy? Is there things that you've continually evolved on? How did you land on like, you know, creating the Instagram profile as an example? Um, it's, and for anybody that's listening, it's at more, um, it's at more Janda, right? Yeah, that's it. Yep. At more Janda. J-A-N-D-A. My wife, when she met me, she went home and, and wrote in her journal, I met this really cool guy, Michael Jenga, J-E-N-G-A, you know? Great great game, but not me. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, J-A-N-D-A, like panda with a J. If we were in grade school, that's what you'd call me, Janda Panda. That's uh, that's what everybody called no, me the, back in Warsaw. That's Indiana. a nickname. So anyway, so um, your question was about personal brand. Yep. Yeah. So for me, the the yellow, I've been addicted to that color since Fox Kids. It was the Fox Kids yellow, FFCC00. And then when I started my agency, Riser, I used it as the Riser yellow. And then when I wrote Burn Your Portfolio, I thought, okay, I want to have this kind of be a touch to attach to uh, Riser. So I used it on there. And now I'm like stuck with it. I can't get rid of it if I if I wanted to. I'm thinking about adding a brown. I've been playing around with this, but adding a brown to my palette. But I don't know yet. I'm going to do a little uh, a little QA on Instagram, see what people think. But the point is, that I think, to, to get to personal branding, owning a color is so critical to personal branding, almost as important as a logo. And you got to look at... Uh, you know, who's using what colors in the marketplace. And there's an importance to be consistent where you should be consistent and unique where you should be unique. And uh, look at businesses, a lot of businesses, corporate style businesses use blue. It's kind of the corporate standard color. But if you're not creating your own unique version of blue, then you may have some trouble owning that color. 
Facebook just, they had a unique blue and then they just changed their blue. Did you guys notice that? No, yeah. I, re I knew that they did a low, like the, the F the design yeah. changed slightly. I didn't realize that they changed the color as well. Yeah, look on, look on the app. And here's my question to anybody from Facebook looking. It's almost the exact same hex color as the Dropbox blue. Oh, wow. And I couldn't believe that when I saw it. And I, because I, I looked at them both within a minute or two of each other. I logged in my Dropbox for something and I was just had just been on Facebook. And I think there's a missed opportunity there to make the Facebook blue unique, especially when there's somebody as big as Dropbox that so many people use that uses right. that same blue. So, you know, that's a little bit of a tangent, but branding, you got to choose something that's just unique enough to be yours so that it's identifiable and uh for me that yellow is is yeah for and, me. and and for all the nerds out there like I'm, i've always been into like a little bit of like color like psychology so yellow typically is like positivity optimism energy clarity i think um joy loyalty so like i think a lot of these things like you know just from talking to you and the way you present you're a very positive motivational person so not only is the color you you know you like the color you kind of got into the thought process but the underlying psychology of yellow, I think, actually ties into your brand perfectly. So I like I like getting like uh, I know we're nerding out a little bit, but like I actually really like how seeing the thought thought process versus like you know I threw darts at a color wheel and that's what I picked. Yeah, well, any designer is going to tell you that they meant to do that. You know, I totally meant to do that. But <laughs> a lot of times, designers will attach meaning to their design after they're done with the design, but they choose it because it feels right to them. And, and that's ultimately where it was for me, you know, it felt right for me. I always loved that color before. And maybe there's some kind of psychological analysis that would be, yeah, I liked it because I am a positive person and it is a positive color. And it's, you know, that's the reason. So I'll just say that I chose it because of that, not because it was just, you know, throwing it at a dart at the color wheel. How quick power ranking, how do you spend most of your time on social media? What's your like... Like one to three, where do you spend your most time? Oh, uh, two, it's, well, one to three, it's... One being where you spend the most time. Okay, I gotcha. Uh, Instagram for sure. And then I'm building a YouTube channel right now that uh, I started actually before Instagram. Um, and so I've got a handful of videos on there, maybe 20 or 30 videos on there. What's your YouTube channel for everyone listening? At More Janda. Oh, cool. So at More Janda everywhere. You're on Twitter at More Janda too. Yeah, yeah. at More Janda everywhere. Uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of them at More Janda. Anyway, it's, uh, so that's, that's number two. And then number three is Facebook. And it used to be number one, Facebook. Um, and then probably number two, Instagram. And number three was LinkedIn. I'm not doing a lot on LinkedIn right now. I'm not doing a lot on Twitter. In fact, I'll tweet like once every six months. That's my that's my Twitter volume. <laughs> you're either doing it or you're not. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk yeah, said that so in the jab, true. jab, jab, right hook thing. You're either doing it or you're not. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not doing it right now. I <laughs> just There's too much. And I'm getting enough traction in Instagram that that's my ambition right now. You know, once you once you have your audience starting to build, it's just sucks you back in because I'm always replying to comments and direct messages and things and and it's fun and engaging for me yeah I, I couldn't agree more I just like I like to kind of pick people's brains on like where they're spending their time which platforms I think the Instagram design community is really really taking form and there's it's been just so much incredible content coming out in the last couple of months so I really like that slide format that everyone's kind of embracing lately 
Yeah, I like that too. And I've been uh, doing posts like that. And then I, I've been playing around with a lot of these video posts, you know, on a, a two to five minute. And Brandon, you do some of those too, that, you know, every third or fourth post you have as a, as a video yeah. post like that. And uh, so I've been playing around with that and I like that. I love that type of content probably the most, but you have to intermingle in some of these slide posts to keep the audience. Cause it seems like the audience likes the slide posts the most. The most. And so I'm doing both to please myself and to please the audience, I guess. Yeah. That's the, that's the funny thing. Like the most valuable content in, in just like you were mentioning about the videos and in, in my case, in the videos, People are just like, oh, yeah, I learned some shit. <laughs> Give me the slides. For some reason, that they like the slides a lot more. And, you know, even with, uh, you know, what my usual usual inspiration posts are, they go towards that route um, versus, you know, watching the, the long, the long form value. So with that, like, just a question for you, because I want to you've already answered it, but I think people are going to uh, not get it. Um, so I'm going to ask a question cause I get a lot of this on Instagram. They're like, Brandon, how do you know, or even some of the, the people who are some of my students, they're like, when they come to me, they're like, what should I be on all the platforms or should I just be on one? So in your mind, if someone wanted to pose that question to you, what would you say and why? I would say you're either doing it or you're not. I'm a hundred percent on that, that quote. It's not my quote. Uh, yeah. it's, but you're either doing it or you're not. And if you can't tweet four times a day, then you're not on Twitter. Don't even bother. If yeah. you can't post on Instagram at least every other day, but you yeah. should every day and maybe once or twice a day, if you can't do that, then then Instagram is not a marketing platform for you. You might use it for, you know, family posts and stuff, your kids at the beach or whatever, which until April 1 was what I used my Instagram for. Uh, LinkedIn, Every day you should be posting on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, you should be on there messaging, commenting, sharing something. Facebook, I'd say, is probably a, a, some people think it's a once a week. It's probably more like a two or three times a week thing to to officially be on a Facebook platform. But that's kind of where I see the the social medias. Uh, YouTube, if you have a YouTube channel, once a week is the the standard for somebody who has a YouTube channel that that's kind of where you want to be at least once one new video per week. But would you do all of it at once? Would I do all of it at once? I think, I think, I think what he, what Michael's getting at is that pick a platform that, you know, adds the most value to your audience and then yeah. be consistent with it. So Twitter obviously is not a huge, you don't want to invest in it because that's not where your audience is. You have very visual, high quality content. So Instagram is probably the best medium for them to consume and ultimately get them to convert, which is probably drive them to your website, you know, morejanda.com. Yep. Actually, it's, that's not my website. So I got to Oh, that. Michaeljanda.com. I know. Fail, right? Well, I'm I, well, like I, consistent. Was, I was assuming you Come on, Ryan. on everywhere. On social <laughs> all social platforms, but my website's not a social platform. So there you go. Okay, that that's a good play. Yeah, you win okay, again. That's my that's my excuse. <laughs> no, yeah. So I yeah I agree with that. That's that's a good summary. If you can't spend the time on it, don't bother doing it. Um, and dig into where you think you're going to be able to engage the biggest audience. And for me, going Instagram as the route was that I noticed that there is a void on Instagram for this type of content. Uh, you you go to 
the YouTube and there are a lot of designers posting business related content. The future is one you and I were both on that show the last couple of weeks and Chris Doe and team have been pun punching out tons of business related content for designers on YouTube. And there's some other people on there. Roberto Blake's been doing it for 10 years. And yeah, he's great. Especially yeah. for like the more YouTube creative community. He's a, yeah. he's a, he's a great but he started with kind of the design community was his thing. And now he's going with the YouTube creator uh, yeah. arm. So you go, you go there, there's people that are so far ahead of the game. And then when I started looking around on Instagram, there was nobody really filling the void of some of this educational stuff for designers. And for me, it's design, business, and UX. Those are, those are my three themes that I'm posting. Um, and it's probably, you know, 50-50 UX and business right now and occasionally yeah. a, a design post. But which, is, which is naturally a great marriage anyways. Like we're so yeah. interconnected. So I think that makes a ton of sense. That's why I think like, you know, you and Chris Doe are very similar. And I think you guys are like uh, on very similar levels in terms of value add to the community. Um, just like, yeah, yeah, of course. And just to kind of transition a little bit, um, obviously a lot of freelancers follow Design Huddle. We get a lot of questions from, you know, people that are kind of, you know, a little bit more entrepreneurial. I think of you as in your career, you've been incredibly entrepreneurial. What, what advice do you have someone that is, you know, kind of on their own, like in certain terms of time management and setting yourself up for success? Uh, I love that question. That's a good question. I wish I would have known at the start of my agency what that was going to take because I was just going around solving the problem of the day until I got like five years into freelancing and then realized, oh, man, this isn't just freelancing anymore. I got employees and I'm actually going to be in business on purpose now instead of just this accidental business that started to happen in my life. Um, so the, there are a couple things and I mentioned one self-education was a big one. You know, that's a big one. I did, I was looking around today thinking I, I read some stat about how many books Bill Gates reads, you know, there's some thing. And I, yeah. so I looked it up. He reads 50 books a year is the thing. The average CEO reads 60 books a year. Mark Zuckerberg reads a book, one book every two weeks. Mark Cuban spends three hours a day reading. It's not all books, but it'll be research papers and company papers and things that he's interested in investing in. Warren Buffett reads five to six hours per day. So if you think that you can be successful and not be wholeheartedly into the idea of self-education, there's no way it's going to happen for you. You've got to be digging into books. You've got to be, you know, following thought leaders in social media where they're sharing content all the time. You've got to be reading blogs and staying up on the news and and trends and all these things. And so that's that's one super critical thing for anybody who's wanting to find any level of success in their in their life. Number two for me is people skills. That's the, it is so critical. And I start Burn Your Portfolio with that as, as one of the foundational sections of the book. But I love this quote. One of my favorite books of all time is How to Win Friends and Influence People. And at the start of that book, it says about 15% of one's financial success is due to one's technical knowledge. And about 85% is due to skill and human engineering, to personality and the ability to lead people. So when we're going to school, studying UX or anything, that's only going to be 15% of what makes you successful. The rest of it is all people skills. It's the ability to manage a team, to run a meeting, 
to manage a client, that personal interaction, it's so, so critical. And one of the reasons it's so critical is because if you're going to be successful, eventually you're going to get promoted out of being a UX designer. You're so good at it that they want to keep promoting you. And now you don't even do UX anymore. Now you're just meeting with clients and you're strategizing and you're kicking off projects with your team and you're strategizing the direction, but you don't ever open Sketch or XD or any of it anymore. You're, or, or you don't even run the focus groups anymore. You know, you're just the manager of people. And that's where promotion ends. So this idea of having people skills is so critical. You're going you're gonna to cap out if you don't figure that out. You don't, you're you're, you're going to get to a point where you can't progress any further in your career because that is what it takes to be in these higher level, level positions that ultimately pay more. And for me, they're a lot more rewarding too because your influence is bigger. You have the ability to influence bigger engagements, bigger clients, bigger teams. And so it's rewarding from that standpoint. So that's number two, self-education, people skills. And number three is the hustle factor. It's the outworking everybody else factor. And I, I, I have been, you know, when you catch fire on ambition and you guys both have it or you wouldn't have a podcast in addition to all the other stuff you're trying to do. So you're, this will resonate with you, but it's, you got to, you got to never be satisfied. You got to be trying to climb the next mountain. What is it going to be? And uh, that's always been something for me that's driven me. And I, I really started to realize it when I, I got a couple years into my agency. It was maybe three years into my agency. And I had five employees. And I thought, oh, maybe someday I'll have 12 employees. And then I'll be successful. Then I'll feel like I made it. And one year later, I had 12 employees. And I was like, I still felt like the same loser that I felt like before. And so I re started to realize okay, it's, it's, it's not about, it, it, there's never going to be a satisfaction point. There's going to be a, a different mountains that you're climbing and every mountain you get to is just going to show you new mountains behind it. And if you have ambition, you're going to want to go and climb these new mountains. And that's the way I viewed my entire career in my life. You know, I look at what I'm doing now. I have two more books that I'm working on that are outlined. One I actually started writing already. I am doing speaking engagements. I'm trying to build a social following. I'm trying to build my coaching clients. And it's a whole new adventure for me. It's a whole new mountain that I'm climbing up. And I'm as ambitious as ever. And it's creating all this work. And I'm fortunate that I don't have to work right now. I'm, I'm fortunate in my life that I've, I've been smart with money and had a successful career. And I, I can work for the fun and the passion of it. And I'm working more hours a day now than I've worked in a long time yeah. because I'm so ambitious and driven behind it. And so that's something that every every entrepreneur that wants to be successful needs. So for me, those are the three, self-education, people skills, and then it's the hustle factor, the outwork everybody else. Yeah. Go for it. Mentality. I, lo I love that like soundbite. I think that's like such a great soundbite, those three. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And then actually, when you were saying that, it reminds me of you know, Casey Neistat, like I've always been like a big fan and as a, as a creator and constantly pushing yourself. In one of his episodes, he talks about the how important it is to grab new opportunities. And he talks about this jungle metaphor 
to navigate, you know, through a career. It's like swinging from vine to vine in a jungle where each vine is an opportunity and grabbing a vine and just staying there means you're not moving forward. So you're constantly letting go, taking that risk, trying to grab that next vine and continue on. Um, so very similar to the metaphor that you gave, but, uh, yeah, I think that makes total sense. I just think, you know, a lot of it is like, not how good you, like things you didn't hear Michael say were like how good you are at sketch, right? Like I didn't hear that in there. I didn't hear how good are you at Photoshop? It's all the other things that surround the skills that you're stacking. So, and, um, and those are the things, you know, I was on a coaching call yesterday and I have a little soundbite for this that I'll, but I'll, uh, that I'll be sharing my Instagram soon, but I'll share it here anyway. Most of the time, 70 or 80% quality is plenty sufficient for a client's needs. You don't need the 100% design quality to be successful. Most clients can be fine. They're going to get enough return on a 70 or 80% quality. So when we look around at these designers who are amazing at sketch and they create these amazing interfaces and it's awesome well, you can be mega successful being able to do 70% of the quality of that person as long as you have these other skills in place. You're, you're awesome with people. You're continually learning. You're outworking people. You're outspeeding people. That's a big one, too, that I didn't mention. But you got to be able to produce work faster than the guy next to you. Everybody yeah. should be trying to crank like that. So... The, the, I think that that's a, an interesting point. Uh, and, you know, I didn't mention Sketch or XD or any of those things because it, it isn't, that's the 15%. The 85% is this other stuff. Yeah, I, I, the, the other takeaway from that is like a lot of people, whether you're any sort of creator, people get crippled by perfection, right? You're so obsessed with making it perfect. But, you know, a lot of times you need to get put something out there. And most of the time is it's, it's, it's going to be good enough to get the message across. And I'm not saying like do bad work. I'm just saying don't be crippled by the process and don't be afraid to put your work out there, you know, when you think it's ready. Because that basically that last 20% of edits is uh, the the cost benefit analysis of your time. You're probably, you know, you're wasting more than the benefit of you just moving on. Yeah, good, uh, good business lingo cost benefit <laughs> analysis <laughs> i took i did well in econ i'm not i'm not i'm not a, like afraid to say it hey like, i did all right i got a d yeah. in econ it was my bad semester but i still know that uh, that lingo of course i probably I learned it, it on it. my I'm own a, I'm after a, i'm a penn state guy so i'm a big 10 guy too so I hear oh it. there you go yeah um all right brendan we gotta let's let's uh tie it up you have a one one more question because if not I'll, I'll bring it home with my my final question i do not have a question i'm just really happy that he brought that soundbite because i feel like a lot of designers are like like software is king and i'm like eh, no the three points that you made are like self-education people skills and the hustle factor and a lot of people are that i at least that i interface with on a day-to-day they're like oh so-and-so doesn't even design but yet they're speaking at like adobe max or they get they are brought out to these keynotes and i'm like uh like for me like i understand they're able to not only influence and what they're doing is of, of much more value than having to be behind a computer and doing the minimal work. Because at the end of the day, like you mentioned, the thing that has to it, design does not have to be refined. But all these designers care about is refining um, the most perfect design. But that is not at the end of the day for business, not the most valuable thing. So um, that is really the last thing I wanted to say, like 
bring it home, Ryan. Let's go. I mean, my, my last question was just when you were touching on books, what's the most powerful book or influential book you've read in the last, you know, two years? Oh, you know what? I'm I'm reading This Is Marketing, Seth Godin right Ooh. now. And I it's so good, yes. honestly. Yeah. It's like, and, and, you know, shame on him a little because he made all of his other books kind of obsolete by writing this one. So uh it's it's such a good for me that's that's the one that has captured me the most in the last couple years over the course of my career and i talk about some of the books that have really influenced me a lot already so you'll see this threaded through my content but how to win friends and influence people is a must read i mean that should be standard reading for anybody 12 and older we should give them a course in middle school on that book it's so important uh, the yeah. e-myth, Michael Gerber, uh, that one changed the course of my business. And so that if you're, if you're running any kind of a, a small business, that is a must read, um, how to stop worrying and, and start living. That's a Daniel, uh, or a Dale Carnegie book. Also, that was a good one for me. Cause I'm a, a worry wart and, and a high stress individual. So that one was good, had great techniques in it. So for me, those are a few of the of the must reads. Good to great, always a must read. You know, some of these. Yeah, these, these, are, these are all great. I've only read a handful of those, no. but um, always I'm always trying to update my reading list. I've never been a huge reader, but I've been trying to get uh, more into it. But well, you got to read sixty per year if you <laughs> yeah, want to be sixty successful. per year. That's no, the, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, too, that's how I'm setting myself up. I'll set up set myself because I'm a hustler. I'm going to set it to seventy five. Yeah, there you go. I'll hold you to <laughs> it. Hey, Bill right. Gates only does fifty. Bill Gates only does 50. So you really just have to beat that and you'll be better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael Janda. You can find him everywhere on social media. And for everyone listening, like in the past, like leave us a voice message. We'll feature it in a later episode. Um, but yeah, you can find Brendan at Brendan Gross. You can find me at Ryan Warrender. And we'll have a ton of more content coming in the future. But uh, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. All right, guys. Peace. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.